0: say might be a little unusual. Um, the atmosphere that takes place in a church service is very important. And I want to pause just for a minute because what I'm sensing and feeling right now is just the tenderness of our Heavenly Father on us right now. So even before we look at the Scripture together, would you just, would you bow with me and just allow... <clears throat> there's nothing He can't fix in a moment that you can't do in a lifetime. And it is time to still your heart and to know that He tenderly takes care of you. Whether it's emotional needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. The, the, it's what I call like the, uh, the pleasure of the Father is on us right now. You didn't have to work for that. It's not it's not because of performance. It's just because of his goodness and his love for you. And instead of resisting or fighting it, even you know, sometimes we're in his presence and it's time to shout and scream and 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 jump up and sometimes it's time to crawl into his lap and just let him love on you and embrace you. I just declare over you the tenderness of God. That even now, His presence is like, like a mist over us right now. And, and whether you can totally feel it or not, he is, he is showering you with blessing, with favor, with love, with healing. In His presence is the fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forever. Now, as best you can, right where you are, would you just thank Him? Would you just begin to thank Him? You, don't, you can just say it quietly, silently, whatever you want to do, but would you just receive His tenderness? Receive the sweetness of His presence? He's softly and tenderly calling you. By name into closer intimacy with Him. Lord, on behalf of this church, I welcome Your tenderness. I welcome the tenderness of Your presence. That You are for us and You are not against us. That You are pouring out things that we don't even know we need, but we need. Because our Father who sees in secret already knows what we need before we ask. We pause here as the children, as sons and daughters, we pause here in the presence of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the the course of these six weeks together, I I, um, am sharing with you what I believe is uh, the most Powerful thing in any christian 's life and that 's your prayer life that uh, that because everything comes from the Father and because everything that you really need or want has a spiritual origin that you and I in order to be you know living out of that potential give it giving um, uh, all of the resources of the Father at our disposal, that you have to have a prayer life. And so Jesus, in talking about the prayer life, he gave, he gave us three permissions and He gave us three promises. The three permissions are, He said, you can ask, you can seek, and you can knock. So because He's given you permission, you can ask for anything, you can seek with all your heart, and you can knock till you get the door open. But the promises that go with the permissions are if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door does open. Now one of the, the things that I think is important for you to grasp from this is that though those are similar verbs, they are different in intensity. Asking is, has a certain intensity to it because you need something or you want something. But then when something is missing or you haven't been able to find something and you seek something, it has a little bit greater intensity to it. And as a matter of fact, what we've been talking about in trying to unpack the idea of seeking and finding is that the Lord himself, in order to train you in prayer, begins to say no to you about things he could say yes so that you will seek his face, not just his hand. So you'll seek him for who he is, not just what he can do for you. And there's not a single one of us here that doesn't have walls and ceilings that limit us. How many times have you probably said, I take a couple steps forward and get knocked three steps back? That just when I seem to be getting ahead, it seems like everything falls apart. Well, that's, that's where spiritual warfare comes in. That's where Learning how to go through the obstacles and be an overcomer is a part of the prayer life. So he's training you not just to receive the superficial things, but to have breakthroughs. And to have places of authority and have places where you see the anointing of the Lord. But in order to do that, you have to go through his curriculum. Um, If I'm going to learn to pray, I want to learn to pray from the best. And the one who always gets yes is Jesus. Everybody else has a lower batting average. Jesus is always 10 for 10. So I want to learn from him. Now, I remind you of this as well, and it's important that you get this into your your soul. Disciples never asked Jesus, teach us to preach. Teach us how to teach. Even though they said no one teaches or preaches like Jesus. The disciples saw blind eyes open, they saw lame walk, but they never said, show us how to do miracles. They even saw demons cast out of people who were thoroughly demonized, but they never said, teach us how to do deliverance. The only thing they ever asked that he teach them was to pray. Why would they do that? Well, my conclusion is that if they knew how to pray, they could do all those things, that all of his preaching, all of his miracles, all of his deliverance flowed out of his prayer life. So he said, "If we have a prayer life like Jesus, we will see what Jesus sees." Same's true today. John, in John 14:12 it says, "The things Jesus did, you will do. And greater than these, because He's gone to the Father. You have greater access." to the power that they saw than you realize. It's interesting. Most people want more power in their life, but they don't want more prayer. And the two are always together. So let's read what Jesus has to say. We've been reading this for a couple weeks. I hope you have it memorized by now. (laughs) Let's read it together. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in this prayer that Jesus teaches us as a pattern of prayer, not the prayer to pray, but the way to pray, as a pattern of prayer and shows us an order to pray. And it is pretty fascinating that before you ask for bread, he calls on you to hallow his name. Now, most of us, if we get the bread, we will hallow his name. Or we will at least thank him for the bread. But Jesus gives this order on purpose. He gives this order because if you want power in you're praying, you've got to have Jesus' order. So this word hallowed, most of us realize, as we talked about last week, we don't use hallowed except when we say the Lord's Prayer. So this word is so important that there is no other modern or contemporary word that could be used to translate it. So They use an old English word and they keep it, hallowed hallowed be your name. Now the reason is because it's a rich, rich word that basically means these three or four things. Number one, if you hallow something, it is sacred to you. You are saying, this is not like everything else. This is special. But when you really use the word hallowed, you're actually saying it's more than just sacred among sacred things. You are saying it is the most sacred thing. It is the ultimate thing. That there is nothing else like this. Nothing else is as important as this. This is my treasure. So when you think about it, Normally, what's happening to us is we're usually praying about our treasure when we pray to God. Because that which we most are fearful about, are anxious about, that which we say we can't live without, that's what our treasure is. So if you look at, at this idea that Jesus presents to us in prayer, is basically he's saying... That what you praise, what you treasure, what you adore will frame every other petition. If you treasure something that is worth treasuring, then everything else will get into alignment. But if what you treasure cannot treasure you, cannot adore you, And it really doesn't matter what you're asking for. Even if you get it, you're never going to be satisfied. So the answer, and this is what Jesus is really saying to us, and I've begun to understand this and experience it in such a deep way, is that what you praise will either destroy you or heal you. What you adore will either destroy your peace, your confidence, will destroy your sense of power or the control or whatever else in your life or it will it will center everything and so jesus says if he is your treasure if he is what you hallow then you can ask anything but if he's not what you hallow then everything you ask is amiss let me let me explain it to you this way When Jesus says you can ask for your daily bread, when when he says that as a part of the prayer of all prayers, he says you can ask for your daily bread, he's basically talking about what you need. Bread is a symbol of what you need. It's a representative of all the needs in your life, all the physical needs, you know, everything that you need to sustain yourself. It's interesting he didn't say when you ask for a quad shot latte or a mochaccino. You know, he said bread. He's basically talking about necessities. He's talking about that which you need to survive. And it's interesting to many of us what happens is that which we believe we need to survive becomes our treasure. I've talked to people before. They come up to me and they go, Pastor, next week I'm up for a promotion. I just don't know if I'll be able to live if I don't get that promotion. Or somebody will say to me, this woman has rejected me. She's, she's, she's dumped me. She's spurned she's me, and I don't know if I can make it now. Will you pray for me? And what, he's, what the person is usually saying is, will you pray she'll change her mind and come back to me? But see, here's how I pray that. I said, Lord, he has the wrong treasure. He hallows the wrong thing. And the fact that he feels like he cannot live without her tells me you are not his treasure. You see, when the, the reason that the first thing in the prayer is hallowed be your name is if you lose everything else, you haven't lost your treasure. Even if you have to go without bread, you have not lost your treasure. But you see, if bread is your treasure then you're just going to get fat. (laughs) It's just carbohydrates and starch. That's all it is. No protein whatsoever. What happens is that bread will fill you up, but it will never satisfy you. And it will always make you want more. Always make you want more. And if it's out of alignment, that which could be good for you becomes destructive to you what you praise jesus says will either heal you or it will limit you and so he puts it first and he says adoration even before petition and usually what we do is we put petition before adoration we say give us our daily bread then we'll thank you for it although quite often we get the daily bread and we forget to thank and he says if you get in alignment then you'll see. Now, Paul understands this. Paul, the apostle, has made Jesus his treasure so much that he says that knowing Christ is the only thing that matters to him. Everything else, all his education, all of his, uh, his uh, recognition as a rabbi, all of those things, he says he counts it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. In other words, he's saying he hallows Christ above everything else. And then as he unpacks how you live your life, he goes in in Philippians 4 and he says, when you are anxious, you do not have peace. And when you have peace, you do not have anxiety. So he starts it off by saying, do not be anxious for anything. So what is he saying by that? He's saying... Basically, that anxiety is a manifestation of a problem that you have with adoration. You are, when you are anxious, you are adoring something you cannot control. You are adoring something that does not adore you back. And by becoming anxious, you rise up in control, you leave a place of peace, and you become God. God. You're a terrible God. And anxiety is always a signal that you are hallowing the wrong thing. What does Paul say? He says, be anxious for nothing. And then he, he, he echoes Jesus, of course make your requests and be na- made known to God. But then he, as you're making them known, he says, with thanksgiving. Now, can you track with me on this? Anxiety is the language of hell. Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. Anxiety is the language of fear. Thanksgiving is the language of faith. When you are anxious about something, you are already experiencing pain from a future that will not happen. That doesn't come from heaven. It is a challenge, not of faith, but of presumption. By anxiety, you are presuming how your life is supposed to go, and you're challenging God to do it your way. By then grumbling because it doesn't go your way, you're still challenging God by saying, you have not provided for me according to what I need. And if if you're a person who's a worrier, you will recognize this, that even if what you worried about doesn't come true, your worry doesn't go away. You'll just find something new to put it on. So Paul says, anxiety is a question of what you hallow. So whatever you're worrying about is up here. Jesus' name is down here. You need to demote what you're worrying about and promote His name. The end result of that, the scriptures say, is that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. It's a problem of adoration because when you adore Him, everything else gets into perspective. You see, if He is your treasure, then if you lose everything, you still have your treasure. If he is not your treasure, when you lose your treasure, you've lost everything. Now, if I can just kind of put this in context and why this is so hard for us. Pastor was telling this story and it, it resonated with me. He said he, he said, What if what if a father takes his daughter, his young daughter, takes that daughter to F.A.O. Schwartz. I guess it's still there, isn't it? I don't know. I have no little kids anymore, so I don't go to those places. But, but what I know of it is from the movie Big with Tom Hanks, where they go in there and they have the p- piano battle. I love that movie. And uh, I, in my mind, F.A.O. Schwartz is the magical place, like Disney World in New York City. So the father takes his daughter into that place, shows the daughter every toy, every magical thing, every wonderful thing. They get to the door and the father looks at his daughter and says, did you see all of this? You will never have any of it. I will never allow you to have any of it. For many of us, you see, that's the default setting we have with the father. Is that he is keeping from us everything we really need and everything we really want? Now, where does this come from? Well, it, it comes from the beginning of time. I really believe, friends, that 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 the garden was real. That Adam and Eve are real people. They're our father and our mother. And what happened to them is what is the lie that's still happening to us that keeps us from hallowing what we ought to hallow. You see, when God gave them the garden, if you look at the story carefully, it's really interesting. What he did was he said, you can have everything but this one tree. You You can have the fruit of all the other trees. You can be everywhere else, but this one tree... I'm forbidding you from taking. And in some ways, and you could argue this theologically, I think it was a random tree. There was nothing unique or special about that tree. It wasn't like there was a flame coming out of it or anything else. It was just a tree. But the minute you say to somebody, you can't have this, that becomes the tree. And you could say, well, you know, that's just the myth and all. I'm sitting there going, I'm saying to you, This plays out in every one of our lives. All I have to do is take some of your kids and say, you can go to every room in the church but this one. (laughs) And you know where they'll be standing from now till I let them into that room? They'll be standing in that room. Because the Scripture says that Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, were standing admiring the tree that they couldn't have. Just like us. But here's the thing. This is the lie that tricked them. And it's the lie that still tricks us. The serpent said to them this, because God will not let you have everything, he's not letting you have anything. And that lie persists in us. Think about, again, you can illustrate it with children, but the truth is we all do this. If you were to say, let's suppose uh, one story I heard is a parent said to the to the children, you know, you c- we can't take you to the circus because the kids wanted to go to the circus. I don't know why anyone wants to go to the circus, but these kids wanted to go to the circus, and the parents said, you we n- we can't take you to the circus. We don't have time or the money or whatever reason. But we'll go to the park. We'll play together. We'll. We'll go get ice cream in the park. You know what the kid will say? If I can't have the circus, I don't want anything. Now, don't tell me that that isn't a problem with you, because I know your family, and I know friends of yours, all right? Every one of us, there's something in us that if I can't have what I want, I don't want anything. So instead of being able to adjust and have what I really need or what I really want, I am resistant and even I will withhold not only praise, but affection and love and even any sense of my heart because you won't give me everything. So I can't have anything. Well, guess who that hurts the worst? <laughs> you know, what, what's the old saying? You cut your nose off to spite your face. I have no idea what that that saying even means. (laughs) But it sounds violent. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? In the end, the reason that you hallow his name is it gives perspective and stops limiting you to the lie so that you begin to walk in the truth. Here is the thing I really would like you to get today very simple thing there's a huge gap between what your father knows and what you know basically you could boil it down to what my friend says it's theology 101 god is smart and he knows things i don't know i'd like you to say that with me theology 101 101. god is smart smart. and he he knows things i don't know see that that's where you begin to break the lie If he's saying no, it's because it's good for you. But you'll only be able to hear no if you hallow his name above every other name. Now, let me just, let me end with this. In a sense, one person said there's an an anatomy to praise. And uh, the anatomy, I, I like how Tim Keller puts it, he calls it a praise pendulum. And... And what I mean, what, what we mean by this is a pendulum has a high over here and it has a high over there and how high it swings depends on the force of the two. And so there's a pendulum of praise where your praise can swing high over here and high over there if you get it right. And the way you get it right is to have this revelation from Jesus about prayer. And the revelation is this, that we approach God as father. That God, who is way bigger than Father, has accommodated Himself so you can understand Him by understanding Him as Father. And, and for Jesus, you see, who didn't, who didn't grow up with an abusive father, who grew up with a father of total love and of total uh, intimacy, and who has tenderness with the, His Son, To him, the highest praise he could speak in the human language to his God and our God, is he called him Father. He called him Abba. Everything about that is loving, and it speaks to how low he will stoop in order to have relationship with you. So on this side of the pendulum praise is the complete, unconditional, beautiful, majestic love of God, which all of us want to dive in like a swimming pool. But on the other side, Jesus also said, it's our Father in heaven. And when he speaks of heaven, he's speaking of glory and majesty and greatness and holiness. He's the holy other. And unless you have this vision of the one you're praying to as being utterly holy and utterly loving, you don't have much of a pendulum. So the same pastor tells the story of talking to people in the city. Just people that come up and say to him, because he knows he's a pastor, and say to him, you know, I, I have a relationship with God. I just don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I have a relationship with God. And so he asks a question. He says, uh, does God forgive your sins? Oh, yeah, God knows, you know, I'm just human. God knows I'm human. And so this, ask this question. It's a very powerful question. How much did it cost your God to forgive your sins? Well, it cost them nothing. Okay, so if you can follow this with me, that person's view of the love of God is about here. View of the holiness God is about there. There's no praise pendulum. There's no praise pendulum. But see, if you meet Jesus, then you've got our Father loving. Because Jesus represented him in the love of the Father. He is the perfect, exact representation of the love of the Father. And the love of the Father is intense towards you. But at the same time, he's holy. What did it cost our holy God to forgive you? It cost him everything. That's why we praise first. That's why we praise always. It's because I have a pendulum. I have a loving father who gave his only son. I have a holy God who, who took upon himself the wrath so that I could be forgiven. I praise him and I don't sit here saying, what have you done for me lately? But here's, this is the secret part. Don't tell anybody I told you this. When you get the first part right, you get more bread. Don't tell anybody. It's not a negotiation. But there's something about when you get an alignment and you hallow the right thing, the bread just seems to fall off the truck. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Hallowed be your name. You're my treasure. You're the treasure of this church. We thank you we can ask for bread, but you are the treasure. We thank you we can ask you for forgiveness of sins, but you are the treasure. We put you first. Would you say that with me? We put you first. Hallowed be your name. Before I ask, I will hallow your name. Amen. Would you receive a couple of announcements before you go? Gabe is uh, rapidly walking up here. Gabe and Jude have a little something they need to share with you. We have some opportunities for you to take this love of Jesus into some other places. So thanks, Mike. Yes. so there's a couple.